This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode 165 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Max and Noah Grant here back in the first week of June uh, to get this show rocking and rolling. We are into the Stanley Cup final, um, and at least one team is into it. Vegas certainly is. Florida, mm, mm. we'll talk about that. That's really the first time they really had a true hiccup, uh, you know, in three and a half rounds, I would say. So uh, we'll obviously discuss that. Of course, just a small couple of notes here, a couple of uh, NCHC and WCHA moves uh, in the NCAA side of things, uh, one pertaining to St. Cloud State, of course, on the women's side. So we'll get to that in the main portion of the show. Uh, we will talk about uh, the Stanley Cup stuff like we just mentioned. And then the AHL playoffs, uh, the final is set for them to begin on Thursday. So we'll kind of just take a brief look at that. We missed it a little bit yes- or last week, I should say. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll finish the main portion of the show with something that actually is kind of fun. Uh, according to Bill Prout at centerisview.com, uh, uh, the roster is pretty much close to being set, uh, according to the website. So on the men's side, um, and I got bored and, of course, tried to put together the entire lineup chart to see what happens. So we're going to talk about you that. free time is just dangerous for everybody. Isn't it? Isn't it? Um, so, yeah. Well, other people are going to have input on the next piece of this. We are going to obviously move into our extra ice session like we normally do most weeks. Uh, the men's hockey and now the women's hockey schedule just coming out today on Tuesday, the day of recording. So we're going to talk about both of those. And then we're going to have a fan poll maybe some potential changes for the future of our show a little bit. And we'd like your input as to kind of how those things might, uh, might kind of roll out as we move forward. So as always, we start with center ice view news and notes and the Huskies illustrated weekly roundup center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud state Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more go to centericeview.com. Nice few news and notes here for this week, Noah, and uh, we're going to cover a little bit uh, about the Gary Bettman Stanley Cup final uh, presser that he does before the start of game one. Uh, a lot of topics, certainly, that we've been following, and uh, for those who follow the NHL, certainly we're keen on a lot of those topics, a lot of these recent, too. So first order of business is uh, the league did announce that they will only raise uh, the cap ceiling by a million. This was something that uh, really started back just a few months back, probably closer to the uh, really the start of 2023, the calendar year, I should say, Noah, where he really, the NHL sort of 
tampered expectations by throwing that out. They seem to be following up on that. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion on this because escrow from the players is not paid off, but it's fairly close. So you have some player agents. I wonder which one I'm describing. Uh, maybe <laughs> one that uh, maybe put a sword through a, a certain goaltender's chest on social media, essentially claiming the NHL is cheap. Um, for those who don't follow the NHL's economics, um, the NHL may actually have a case for this um, to yeah. kind of just get through this. Uh, but either way, only $1 million is expected to rise, so that doesn't help out the Minnesota yeah. Wild, the hometown team, by any stretch of the imagination, yeah. are entering their big uh, cap restrictions the next couple of seasons. Uh, next topic, of course, Arizona. We cover this quite extensively over the past couple of weeks. It's, can you believe this? No, it's been three weeks already since the city of Tempe voted down the proposal to build the new entertainment district in that city. Again, the Coyotes were to be essentially the big focal point of that. And now NHL, including Vice President uh, Bill Dady, basically saying, hey, we intend to make Arizona work. Um, they are trying to keep it within the Phoenix area. Again, uh, this should be no surprise to NHL fans, especially in that uh, corner of the U.S., uh, might, might surprise yeah. might surprise Phoenix a little bit. <laughs> uh, might be right, uh, but I mean, just the other day, Gary Bettman on the pregame show with TNT essentially said Phoenix is out. Right, uh, a lot of speculation going to where the Phoenix Suns play. Uh, again, big renovation. The sightlines for hockey really isn't ideal. Um, not really looking good. I know there's the city of Mesa. There's some other land that's essentially been looked at. Uh, but I think the most important note here is the new NHLPA. Um, I forget his first name. Is it Marty Walsh? Um, yep, that sounds right. Either way, basically said that the NHL has to have a concrete plan in the works before the start of this regular season. Noah, I mentioned that this probably has 100 days since the vote was turned down to really do something to try to keep those hopes of staying in Phoenix slash Arizona alive. And now with the essentially the Players Association really turning up the heat on that uh, seems to be like, yeah, time's ticking, right? Yeah. Really the first time, Noah, and I want to get your quick thoughts on this. It really is the first time that we've seen both from Gary Bettman and the league as a whole really, shall we say, put a time clock on the Coyotes and their potential stay or shall we say exit from the state of Arizona? Well, it's a two minute warning, right? I mean, it's the final push full kitchen sink for, you know, both Arizona in Arizona and the and NHL. As well. it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, this is the final desperation push. Otherwise they're not staying there. I mean, we talked about this extensively in previous shows. Uh, I mean, this, you know, it is kind of the backlash, you know, the second wave, so to speak from that initial Tempe vote. And this is, this is it. I mean, this is you're hanging off a cliff with one hand on the cliff and two fingers already gone from the edge. Right. I mean, like this yeah. is it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, no surprise that the NHL is trying to push for this because if not, they need the rest of this summer and next season, which of course, Arizona will still be, uh, at Arizona state playing there. Uh, they need that time. Barring, barring them, just pick it up and leaving, which you can't rule out technically just yet. yeah yeah I, I think the nhl would like to um if that is the case i think they'd like about a year to be able to kind of coordinate that a little bit i think that's kind of what they like to use that time for but nonetheless um there's been interested parties already we talked about hartford obviously um you know ryan smith majority owner for the utah jazz has been in contact about salt lake yep. last week um 
there's a lot of, of course, Atlanta, uh, there's been a lot of athletic articles about would they work for a third time around? Um, we, for I don't know. Yes, but not yeah. for relocation, um, especially with this. Particular I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. You say that, but like, I'm not sold that they don't. They don't have a building to play in. That's the thing in yeah. Atlanta. So you're forgetting that's the same problem in Arizona. Okay, so they're going to Kansas City. We talked about this. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> and uh, Patrick Mahomes might be the primary owner, which actually wouldn't be the bad thing. Yeah. Um, so you did mention, like I said, Salt Lake, uh, not just contact. They've had dinner apparently a couple times uh, with the well, commissioner. We've Here had uh, uh, to Caleb's chagrin. We've also had dinner a couple times. So, true. Um, <laughs> but it's still. I mean, if you saw the commissioner, if you're Alex Mirawello, right, of the Arizona Coyotes, and you have uh, a an owner of a sports team that isn't in the same league, and they're sitting down having dinner. And it's it's not a secret that this owner wants to expand his sports portfolio and wants to bring the NHL to Salt Lake City. Yeah, I, I think that probably internally rattles at least a few yeah. feathers within the Arizona Coyotes organization. And this sort of story overlaps with what we're seeing north of the border, Noah, and uh, it's the sale of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, part of, again, this presser is he's saying, hey, this might take a couple more weeks. And no doubt we've touched on this before, that the current situation in Arizona, no question, is weighing on the NHL and making sure that they're vetting all of the different ownership groups. They did, they did come out and actually say that nobody has been officially eliminated. But we saw even what last week and a couple of weeks before that, that there were some maybe leaks that there was maybe some concerns of funding or capital from the group that was led by Nico Sparks. Um, we also heard that the group from Ryan Reynolds was outright, but maybe not. So at, at the end of it, the NHL is doing their due diligence I don't mind it because, again, the last thing they need is to have two of these situations at the same time. Um, and no question that the NHL and their PR, right, wants to put the Arizona thing behind. So uh, NHL still looking to essentially not expecting this to be finalist maybe till July, if not mid-July. So maybe after free agency starts. Either way, uh, most likely before the start of the 2023 season. Um, here's something that we've also covered quite extensively. Like we said, a lot of maybe repeat topics, but um, how about the 2018 investigation of the Chicago Blackhawks, right? Um, now, here's hockey, a t- hockey Canada, hockey Canada, excuse me. Yeah, Chicago we- Blackhawks also are the next. I'm, I'm double yeah. ready today. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all right, wait, there, there are two topics that haven't been fun and uh, no, um, cover, cover similar veins, so yeah, so. Because I already goofed it up, let me just break it down very simple. So the 2018 investigation to Hockey Canada, um, supposedly early review by this summer. Again, who gets that review has been very vague. It's very similar with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, It sounds like they will be presented the report to the league. Not sure if the public will ever actually see this report and if i'm the nhl i probably wouldn't want that either um but more importantly the follow to that right was a year and a half ago joe quenville was behind the bench of the florida panthers and because of essentially the investigation that was made public at least up to that time he was essentially removed from his post um and so he has requested a meeting with gary bettman a part of that uh, him losing his job was if he ever wanted to come back in the league, he would have to meet with Gary Bettman personally. Same thing with Stan Bowman. Um, although we haven't really heard any rumblings of interested parties in Stan Bowman, 
I wouldn't doubt that there may be a few interested parties in Joel Quenville. Again, that's pure speculation. That's nothing I've heard. Uh, but those are some of the other things that are going on. And uh, shall we say, a lot of those not fan, not really great topics for the NHL. If you're if you're looking to fill a Stanley Cup final presser, uh, not a ton of positivity in those. So, uh, yeah, not great for the NHL PR. Oh, my gosh. No, definitely not. Um, but, I mean, you know, these things have a way of sorting themselves out. They just take time. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you know, Joel Quenville, um, obviously, I mean, you know, all things aside, a great coach. So, like you mentioned, in terms of the interest, I don't, I wouldn't doubt that there aren't some teams that aren't interested in, in that. But at the same time, you have to be able to handle the fallout as to what that would entail if the league lets him back in. Um, yeah, messy. Uh, obviously, a lot of baggage carried, which is the complete opposite of our next story. Oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> Can you tell that, Mike? <laughs> Jeez. Um, and, well, maybe you could say that the baggage carried is experience, right? Because Greg Cronin, um, who had been uh, essentially at the helm of the Colorado Eagles, the Avalanche's AHL affiliate, getting the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks. So this is great. Uh, mm-hmm. No, we always like to see new blood um, into the NHL. No, Cronin has been in the NHL as an assistant coach. We mentioned that before. I think better parts of 12 seasons with different organizations, uh, but was really doing a good job with the Eagles in Colorado. Um, I had worked with a firm over this last year that knows Greg Cronin quite extensively and uh, just his communication, the way that uh, he is able to approach different players, uh, the coat, you know, the teaching, the knowledge of the game is there. And uh, it sounds like he's the guy that is looking at the challenge that is the Anaheim Ducks. Um, they're going to have another tough year, more than likely. They still have some pieces that they have to build on, but they do have a good core, right? And uh, he's looking at this going, hey, I love to be the guy to see this team ascend the ranks, right? So a uh, great opportunity for Greg Cronin yeah. and a really good human being, too. Um, well, that's uh, part of the hire, too. So it's awesome. A lot of people on Twitter that were, like, stunned by it because he wasn't a recycled NHL coach. They were like, huh, why would you make this type of move? Like, obviously, it's a very young roster with a lot of developmental potential, and that's what he excels at. Like it, yep. you know, like, like I said, like the World Hockey Report on Twitter, you know, this the tagline was just, huh? And I'm like, what do you mean, huh? It's like people who haven't coached in the NHL before, or haven't been head coaches in the NHL, are allowed to coach in the NHL. Like they, they right. you're allowed to bring that skill set into the into the fold. I, you know, like I think yeah, that well, we're just so used to the narrative of like, oh, Gerard Gallant joins yeah. his fifth NHL team with the Anaheim Ducks, right? For example, um, as you're going to go through the the other two, uh, um, the other coach that is going to get hired and then some GMs that are all recycled names. But then like, you know, for example, the Rangers got permission to speak to John Hines a couple weeks ago, right. Or a couple days ago. And you know, that's par for the course at this point, a lot of teams go with what they know. And the reality is not that he's a bad coach and not to say that things might be different. If he, you know, left Nashville, like he did, John Hines does not have the, playoff postseason pedigree in the past couple of seasons but yet he's an nhl name so people expect that to be the next avenue yep. and that's a league problem too right yeah. uh, and that goes into other issues that we could spend hours talking about but great for craig cronin again um you know is going to wave a magic wand and they're going to be you know 
a much better team next year? Probably not. But again, you're looking for the developmental piece, as you mentioned. That was his role, again, as the American Hockey League head coach. No stranger to the NHL. He's got um, over a decade worth of experience in the league. So this is not like brand new for him. Um, so we wish him the best of luck as again, uh, it's going to be uh, a multi-year, you know, sort of challenge down there in Anaheim. But uh, as we've seen, Anaheim as uh, they won a cup in 07, uh, they've been competitive up to what, maybe 2016, 2017, probably 17. before uh, really their, their core essentially, you know, it just kind of aged out. So they're in yeah. a deep rebuild. Uh, but again, the opportunity is there to kind of bring him back to relevance and uh, good for him on that opportunity. Uh, you mentioned some old recycled names. This one, I think, you know, if, if World Hockey Report, as you mentioned, was going to go, huh, this next one should have been the one attached to it. That's Mike yeah. Babcock. The reporting is it's not official that he will sign as the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, uh, basically, I what July one because he's still under contract uh, until June thirtieth with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, this one's puzzling, Noah, and it's not puzzling because again, when you separate the good head coaches, right? Mac, Mike Babcock can coach, we know that, but can he? Right? Can he coach in today's NHL? The reports from the players at multiple different teams. Let's just say that the. Um, the Google reviews would not be five stars. We'll put it to you that way. Yeah, I don't know, though. And the reason I say that is because you got to realize he he was coaching like co- Canadian collegiate athletes. And I don't think you do that without having some sort of like personal and professional reform of the way that you approach things. It, like it's just it's a much different environment in the NHL. You know, for lack of a better term, you can get away with being a little bit abrasive uh, when it comes to college hockey. Sometimes you have to be a little bit more, you know, kind of thoughtful sometimes I think about the way that you approach that just kind of where a lot of those guys are you know 19 20 21 years old versus you know NHL veterans who kind of know how to handle a little bit more um I don't know we're gonna see how it pans out I mean there's no doubt that Columbus needs a reshift I mean they definitely need something moving on from Larson but uh yeah I mean time's just gonna tell I mean I think the NHL like it always does in the next year is gonna give us those storylines that we anticipated that don't actually develop and things that we didn't expect that suddenly become very hot topic. I, I really have no read on how this is going to end up, honestly. No, not a clue. Uh, you mentioned again, recycle coaches and the Rangers getting permission to speak to John Hines again, still under contract with uh, the national Predators. actually, no, he was fired. I apologize. Yeah. Um, but then uh, the big one, right, is the Toronto situation. And again, the vacant GM position. Um, this name was connected pretty early after the departure of Kyle Dubas. And it was official. Uh, Brad Tree Living, uh, former Calgary GM, now taking over in Toronto. Um, we talked about the Kyle Dubas departure, right, Noah, and how Brendan Shanahan, I was very vocal on how this just smelled like a bunch of BS and how he wanted some bite. Um, that's according to Shanahan, I should say. And here we are, right? He, he's got his guy. There's no question. There's some tough roster decisions on the horizon. Um, yeah, and that's saying it lightly. Yeah. But good luck. I think this. I think Shanahan, and this is why I was so animate, you know, animated about it. Is it's a lot easier said than done in the situation because you've got so much talent up front. You kind of maybe broke through. You could say a little bit this past postseason. But again, it's still well short of what the Maple Leafs were building towards. And at the end of the day, I think GMs and fan bases sometimes, right, you let the pressure 
of winning maybe make you do things that maybe emotionally feel like you need to do, but maybe on paper isn't the right move, right? Yeah. But this is not this has been a team that has largely been the same, minus a few ins and outs for the past few seasons. And you kind of wonder too, was Kyle Dubas attached to that core? This is the same thing that Minnesota essentially went through with Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. I don't know that it is though. I don't know that it is though. And the reason that I say that is because Chuck Fletcher hung on to his core because he was enamored with them. Like you just said, part of the reason that Toronto's hanging on to their core is just cap strap. Who wants to take John Tavares's $10 million contract when he turns 33, like, you know, and not to say he hasn't been productive, but I, a great, great watch on YouTube that just came out, uh, I believe yesterday, actually, from the hockey guy on YouTube, talked extensively about how everyone bashes Mitch Marner and talks about how Mitch Marner is overpaid in this. Exactly. It is overpaid. Maybe, maybe by a million bucks, 500,000. Sure. Whatever. Not by much, <laughs> but exactly. Not by much out of the, out of the big three, out of the core four, he's the most productive, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. Like he is the most right. consistent performer. Now, Austin Matthews, of course, approaching his contract here. The question mark is, does he simply want to stay or not? I think if he does, you're going to find a way to resign him. The reality is Toronto screwed themselves over right away when they signed John Tavares because they knew that they were going to get a couple of good years out of him. Not like he was fine this year. I mean, he's a point per game player. I mean, he's still a great centerman, good 200 foot centerman. Like, don't get me wrong. I would love to have John Tavares. We'll put it. Yeah. Yeah. He's just not worth $10 million at this point. And part of the reason was the idea that we were going to make a couple of cup runs. And then by the time we hit this point, it would pay off because it was worth it. One, they can't shed that salary cap at all because no one wants to take it and that's the problem is that you know no one has the room for it even if they did yeah exactly it's like they want to get one of those three guys is going to be on the move at some point here but toronto would have to be insanely creative to get that cap hit for Tavares out of there i don't even think willie nylander is in the conversation because does he alleviate seven million in cap sure but at the same time yeah exactly you know out of all those guys Tavares is the guy that has to go it's just they can't move that contract it's same with eric carlson in san jose you know it's just it's such a hard contract and and like apparently san jose doesn't even want to retain hardly any salary if carlson goes like Good luck with that. Like, are you kidding? Can't blame them, right? Yeah. Um, and you also wonder too, with not just the Maple Leafs, but the NHL as a whole, right? How much the pandemic and the flat cap has affected this, right? We know it's affected the wild, right? Yeah. If you think about it from Bill Guerin's perspective, we've mentioned this before, which is had the salary cap gone up like it was supposed to, these last couple of years still technically would have hurt, but it would have been a lot easier to deal with because you wouldn't have been yeah. essentially they were expecting more room to grow. You would have had five or six million more dollars to, to play with. Yeah. If not more, right. If not maybe eight. Yeah. Nine. And it sounds like the NHL is at this point where they're about a year, maybe two at the most away from getting back to that point where they can finally get over the escrow and finally kind of open things up. Uh, coincidentally, right when the wild get rid of their dead cap hits. So that's, can't complain. Well, it's freaking time, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's tough, right? Because, you know, you do kind of wonder, you know, like, and I, I, I think I mentioned it too, but signing John Taveras was tough because again, you, you, you had a second line center in Cadre. Yes. I am. I'm not comparing apples to oranges per se. We know that they're different players. Again, Taveras, a Toronto area native 
it was yeah. a great storyline. Took, took less money actually to come to took Toronto. Less money to go to Toronto, but because of the term, right? You know, if that would, if we were talking same cap it, but maybe that contract's three, four years instead of seven, I think it's a little bit different, right? So, and maybe that's part of the reason why Dubas is out. Is you know, again, I I don't buy the watching a press conference. I just to me, your mind's already made up well before that in your private conversations. Uh, it's yeah. a PR stunt, in my opinion. It's, you know, neither here nor there. But, who, you know, Tree Living has, shall we say, been given a messy platter. And he's got some stuff to clean up. And it's not uh, easier because if you're trying to shed cap, if you're trying to do things, you're going to be moving potentially a player that, A, is very good, means a lot to your current core. And, uh, well, again, easier said than done. And great for the Penguins, by the way, picking up Dubas. That he was on their radar from day one, replacing Brian Burke as the president of Hockey Ops. So the Penguins, I think, are going to be in good hands. Excited to see what Kyle Dubas can do with a roster with a slightly little bit more flexibility in some senses. Uh, similar, similar concept, but a little bit more play, if you know what I mean. And not really much different from Toronto, if yeah. you think about it, because you, it's yes, it's an aging core, but we're also namesakes that have been with this organization since what 2005 Malkin yeah. with Tang Crosby where you have to have if you're Dubas and mind you he's not going to I mean he's going to be essentially de facto GM until they bring one in right um, until you know, that happens he's going to be the acting GM but what do you do? I mean, Crosby is going to be 36. Malkin's going to be 37. Uh, Latang, we know that of his health issues right? Uh, holy cow right? So <sighs> When yeah, 2005, I, think, I was eight. So, <laughs> and it's like for him, right? He's going to be at some point forced to hit the chopping block, right? Which is we have to make a a hard shift in this core. Question is, as the last you know couple of GMs tried to do, try to give these guys another run to Stanley Cup. I'm not sure you can really fault them for that besides the Mikel Granlin trade, but you know, that's you know, all, all things equal. Um, at some point he's got to have, I would imagine a four or five year plan, which takes these guys near 40. And, you know, does it happen all at once, Noah? I, I almost wow. get the sense that it does right where, because yeah. I, I think Crosby's up after this year, Malkin technically has two more years on his contract. They're not all equal, but you kind of wonder, does he do it incrementally or with such important namesakes to a franchise and guys, you know, brought them cup after cup. Do you just cut the cord at once? Say, you know what? We're just going to, this is, this is the way we're going to end things. I don't know. That's a I don't tough even one. know. I don't even know if it's end things. I think, you know, you've got four to five years for each guy and you try to put something together in those four or five years that gives them one last shot. I think that that's kind of what it comes down to is you have maybe a, a four to five year plan, but within the first one to three years, you're making moves to kind of set them up to, to try to explore that Avenue before they hit that point. I mean, yeah, Crosby generational talent, obviously, and still a great point producer, but when he, turns 38 39 i mean the reality is he's gonna um he's gonna sadly dip to maybe about 40 or 50 points a season oh no must be terrible um (laughs) so i you know that's kind of going to be the plan for kyle dubas um i'm curious to see what the penguins do it's going to be intriguing um but it's definitely going to be it's going to be a short-term midterm bridge deal plan type thingy i guess is maybe has to be right yeah Yeah. the best way to put it so uh speaking of short-term uh bridge deal plan thingies uh patrick waugh 
uh, and the Quebec Ramparts uh, shut out the Seattle Thunderbirds 5-0 in the Sunday Memorial Cup final. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to go on TSN's Twitter and watch his response to what that meant to for him, for his guys to win that, um, is a fantastic response. And somehow he just looks unbelievable with a gray beard, doesn't he? I, like, I don't... I, <laughs> it's just kind of crazy. Um, actually, but so a, a team in the queue has actually now won four straight Memorial Cups, the first time since uh, the round robin tournament format introduced in 1972. So, congratulations. Uh, uh, the queue, obviously, uh, the aforementioned Sidney Crosby uh, coming from there as well, too. Uh, in addition, Connor Bedard, yes, yeah. Uh, in addition, Connor Bedard, uh, projected number one overall pick. So they say says he's excited if the Blackhawks decide to take him. Um, yes, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> um, took home three awards the CHL top prospect, top score, and David Branch player of the year award on Saturday. He is the first player ever to win all three in the same season. Not even Connor McDavid did that. Connor McDavid did win three awards, but did not win those three. So, um, yeah, he's pretty good at hockey. Let's just put it that way. So is Cole Caulfield, uh, the former Wisconsin Badger, signing with Montreal. Eight years, $62.8 million. That's just under $8 million average annual value. Yeah, no surprise, right? Like, no. <laughs> Unless you're Montreal, then you're absolutely panicking. But, you know, things happen. <laughs> When aren't they panicking in Montreal? Um, uh, speaking of uh, our former Chuck Fletcher friends, uh, the first move by Danny Briere and co. And Keith Jones, by the way, uh, yeah. trading Ivan Provorov to the Blue Jackets in a three-way deal with the Kings. So the Blue Jackets get the defenseman and Ivan Provorov. The Flyers get goaltender Cal Peterson, who, of course, was on that three-year $15 million deal, did not have a great season, has two years left, I believe. Um, yeah. Might be an interesting tandem with him and Carter Hart. I'm actually kind of curious to see how that works out. Uh, Sean Walker had a career low in ice time as a defenseman for L.A. He's headed to Philadelphia. Another defensive prospect, a first-round pick from Columbus, a second round next year from Columbus, and a second round that same year from Los Angeles heading to Philly. So uh, this is like anti-Chuck Fletcher. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, and the Kings get 30% of Provorov's contract. Defenseman Kevin Connaughton, if you remember that name, uh, mm-hmm. and another forward prospect. So, um, yeah, I, I, for the and Kings. And for Columbus, too, honestly. Yeah, uh, the, the Blue Jackets. Yeah, all three teams win here. The Blue Jackets get their guy. The Flyers kind of retool and try to try to rebuild from within a little bit here. And the Kings, it's a salary dump, plain and simple. So, yep. um, yeah, great moves by all three. Uh, GMs, I think, uh, as far as we're concerned. Uh, la- second to last topic here, Hillary Knight winning the inaugural IIHF Female Player of the Year Award, uh, voted on by the members of the media representing 16 different countries. Uh, she won in a landslide, 40.9% of the total votes. Uh, the yeah. next closest was U.S. teammate Carolyn Harvey at 18.2%. I thought it was crazy. Like, Poulan was like 9% or something like that. That's shocking, actually. Isn't it? Yeah, kind of crazy. But, I mean, congratulations to her. She had a great statement about that, winning that award. Hey, if a U.S. player wins something, I'm not going to complain. Are you kidding me? Come on. Especially if somebody in Canada is in the mix. (laughs) We can't win a medal, but we can win an award, I guess. So Yeah, hey, hey, participation. As as it is, well, not really, but sort of. (laughs) You know, every time that I ran track, I would always get like eighth and I get the brown ribbon trophy, which it was a very fitting color for the way that I ran track. Um, But I... I I don't know participation ribbons right I mean that's <laughs> yeah but I mean and, and no I I, I kid but yeah. 
I mean, great, great award for her. She had a great statement. If you didn't get a chance to go check it out, I definitely would. But yeah, um, obviously uh, good to see uh, one of the best players in international history, regardless of country, uh, you know, win an award. Obviously a very storied career for her um, for the United States national team. So no surprise on that end. Uh, and then injury wise here, we've got uh, three technically here. As far as the Stanley Cup final is concerned, Radko Gudis still have not heard anything. He was supposed to be reevaluated today course played through game one with injury left in the first of game number two um he's unknown status right now uh third line winger eotu luo tarsinen is day-to-day with a lower body injury since of course game four of the conference final how did you pronounce that luo tarsinen <laughs> luo tarsinen luo tarsinen well, yeah same thing um <laughs> yeah you're one to give me ribbing about name pronunciations anyway um he's been he's been out since the conference final with a lower body injury questionable to return he's listed as day-to-day so um i don't know florida's already kind of in a weird spot and they could really use radko gudas i think yeah um and how about arvin barbashev and that hit too you know yes I mean, Radko Gudis is a freaking truck, right? Uh, that's kind of what he's known for, uh, you know, and I really do think, you know, he helps kind of shut down the middle of the ice for the Panthers. And without his presence there, you could just tell it really had a ripple effect um, on the Panthers in terms of through the middle of the ice in the defensive zone. Yeah. It just it wasn't the same. And yeah, showed on the scoreboard, too, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, speaking of ripple effects, curious to see the next contract for Patrick Kane, four to six months recovery timeline for him after hip surgery could return anytime between October and December. So have to see how that plays out. He wants to play for the next five to six years at least. So, um, <laughs> yeah, what? I mean, he's not he's not that old. I mean, he's only- no, but, you know, every I say I, I scoff because every player says that. But it, this is the the age, right, where your body starts to sort of give you some signs. It's like. Yet your mind is telling you five or six. I'm gonna give you maybe two, you yeah. know, kind of thing. And especially with uh, with hip surgeries, right? Those in the recovery process of those, we've seen this, especially with goaltenders, right? You just never know how that's gonna heal. Um, good news for Wild fans, I guess. If, if he is back, you can sign him to a league minimum, so that's good. You, yeah. you, you can probably do it that way. So maybe yeah. it is a good thing. I don't know. So yeah, or he could play with Connor Bedard, right? Um, Oh, geez. Uh, that would actually would be disgusting. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> certainly would. But uh, we're going to move on, of course, to uh, new additions for the St. Cloud State side of things and other NCAA player moves as we move to the main portion of the show. Welcome into the main portion of the show, Nick, Max, and Noah Grant, episode 165 here on the show. And uh, yeah, the first week of June as we get started in the first week of June, obviously, of course, I start my new job next week. So I'm really excited about that, of course, taking my boards on Friday. So hopefully all goes well there. Uh, excited to get started, obviously, uh, and doing a lot of things there. But uh, um, yeah, starting with St. Cloud player moves um, and NCAA player moves, I should say. We'll start on the men's side like we normally do. Uh, defenseman Keaton Pearson to, uh, to the University of North Dakota from Michigan. Uh, 11 assists in 39 games played last year as a senior. Um, he was an early April transfer portal addition. So 
Um, he's headed to North Dakota. And this was actually probably a while ago. We just never mentioned it. Freshman defenseman Lucas Mata officially heading to RPI from Western Michigan, only played in six games uh, on the back end last season. On the women's side of things, though, the big news was St. Cloud uh, bringing in defenseman Ella Anik from Bemidji State, seven points in 35 games as a sophomore last season, ranked second among defensive scoring for the Beavers and a very, very, very strong shot blocker, someone who is a very good presence uh, in front of the net. I mean, um, holding opponents to just under 2.6 goals, um, which is the second best mark ever um, in 32.2 shots per game. So, I mean, limiting chances on the defensive side was kind of the forte for Bemidji. They just couldn't get offensive scoring last season, of right. course. Um, so, yeah, someone that, uh, you know, 63 total contests over two seasons, 10 total points over those years, 77 shots on goal, 87 block shots in that time. Um, you know, a good shot volume producer too, just someone who gets pucks towards the net. Uh, no surprise for St. Cloud to add somebody who's good on both sides of the puck in the back end. And it's Brian Adelski's identity, right? It's shot blocking. It's making it impossible to get to uh, those great areas of the ice in the offensive zone. This is, uh, shall we say, you know, really a DNA defensive get for Brian Idolsky. This is exactly the type of player he's looking for. And as you mentioned, if you just get pucked through on the other side, you know, you're you're trying to create chaos, right? You're trying to prevent, you know, people getting into the house on your end. You're trying to get into the kitchen of the others. Um, this is great. And I think it'll be a, a smooth fit uh, for this Idolsky squad that goes into year number two. Uh, can't wait to see it. Of course, we're going to talk about the women's schedule coming up in the extra eye session, so you won't want to miss that. Of course, men's hockey schedule included in that, the women's schedule just coming out today. And the men's hockey at the tail end of the main portion of the show, we're going to talk about their rosters. It seems to be close to being finalized if all things point in that direction. Uh, rosters that, of course, are awaiting injury news. Florida, of course, uh, down to nothing against Vegas in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, should it go to the point where um, it goes to all seven games, which it would need at least six, uh, we would be pushing into a week from Saturday. Um, and then game seven will be Monday the 19th if needed. So, of course, the Panthers have to do some work here at home for games three and games four on Thursday and Saturday, respectively, this week. Um yeah, I mean, game one, everything we expected from that series, you know, Florida just uh, on the wrong end of a one, a very unbelievable paddle save by Aiden Hill. Yes. Holy crap. And uh, uh, hit about six or seven posts in that hockey game, probably deserved a better fate than what they got. Actually out shooting Vegas in night number two, but it was the Vegas Golden Knights seven to two was the final in that one. Um, stark contrast between the two games in terms of the overall scoreboard. What did you see? I saw a team that really was trying to gain the physical edge in game two. And when Gudis went down um, and Matthew Chalk too, and, and I say this because I actually, Canuck, yeah, Kachuk, Canuck, my gosh. Speaking of pronunciation, yep, here we go. There's your free, there's your free spin. <laughs> um, you know, he's such a unique player in terms of his skill set, his brawn too. And, you know, essentially, unfortunately, kind of just let their emotions get, the frustration really started to show, right? Um, what a Hard hit he had, though, in the second game. The holy moly. Yikes against Jack Eichel. Um, first of all, clean hit, 100%. Yep. Um, Eichel even in, admitted yep. it himself. Um, but speaking of Eichel, to come back from that and then to assist on the next goal, yeah. um, any sort of momentum, right? Because that's essentially what Kachuk is trying to do. He's trying to spark his team, right? Because up until that point, it was, what, 4 nothing. Yeah. And uh, let's just say not really much traction. 
anywhere on the ice, especially offensively, trying to create something. Um, and then to see Eichel come back out, which is good. We never want to see even on a big clean hit like that, someone get hurt, uh, comes out and essentially squashes all of that momentum. Florida just doesn't have an answer right now. And really it's, you know, Florida has not, especially that top line. I've Kachuk. um, uh, with Lou Alster Ryan and not in the lineup, it's been him with Sam Bennett, and it's been uh, who's been on that line too. It's not Verhage. He always asks me line combinations, and I know because Verhage's uh. in line number two, and I can't. Oh, Barkoff, that's right. Um, they just haven't really been able to establish their forecheck because um, that's really what got them through the first three rounds. Is that first line really started to, you know, kind of keep the puck down low? They wore teams down low to high plays, and then with Montour. Ackplad and some guys who've got some pretty good heat from the back end. That's how they were able to really start to wear teams down. We haven't really seen much, but also got to give Vegas credit to their first couple of games. Quick transition, quick breakouts. They've been great on the rush. A lot of good chances off the rush to be uh, to be had. So Florida's not really ha- gotten to their game yet is really what it has been. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. Like it, That's I, I, just how I see it. Well, I mean, like, much stronger game from Vegas than I think we anticipated. I think, you know, in the first three rounds, they were a team that was comfortable with run and gun, but really wasn't a group that locked down the neutral zone very well. Um, This series, it's been a much different story. Now, you mentioned guys, you know, like Carter Verhege as well, too. Uh, Last game, Kachuk, Barkov, uh, and Sam Bennett combined, uh, if you do the math, 11 shots between the three of them. So, I mean, it's not like they, it's been for lack of chances. Like I said, I mean, you look at the uh, the total overall shots, if I could find it, I had I just had it up and then totally lost it. But I believe it ended up being where Florida ended up out shooting um, Vegas throughout that hockey game. And the thing is, people have got on Kachuk, especially for the, the extra fist of coffee through at the end of game one um, and talked about how he's suddenly become this detriment to his team. And like I said, not to say that the emotions shouldn't be in check. And obviously, you know, um, you have to keep those things under wraps, but he's gotten a couple of misconduct penalties. And you look at some of the misconducts that have been called where it's kind of like, why just him? And, you know, the first one, like I said, not saying the one in game one wasn't a misconduct, but you kind of know what you're doing. You're down by two, only a couple minutes left. You're kind of trying to set the tone for game two. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's just Kachuk's game. He's always been an agitator and people, even when he played in yes. Calgary have always said, Oh, when he starts to agitate over the line, clearly he's a detriment to his team. He's a double-edged sword. You take the good with the bad. He's been electric in these playoffs. And I think, you know, he's a leader. There's no doubt about that, you know, on that team. And you kind of look to him sometimes to kind of say, you know what, the scoreboard's not in our favor. It's not necessarily about clawing back in this game and getting a goal and an assist. Is that the important aspect? Yes. But when you're down for nothing, I think part of it too is kind of just saying, like, hey, we're probably not winning game two here, but like, we're not going to roll over and die. And you need to know that good luck when you come back down to Florida, right? Like it's, yeah. And and I think that's the part of the argument that's missing, right? When it's, you know, the scores tight and even, I mean, it got to four, nothing really until things started to unravel a bit, because you got to remember too, when uh bar, uh, uh, Barbashev and his reverse hit on Radko Gudis. Yeah, there was a little bit of a response. You expect that, right? But things were still relatively controlled on both sides, even up until that point, right? But as you mentioned, you get to the second period, Gudis is not back in the lineup. We've already talked about what his lack of a presence did to this Florida Panthers squad. Yeah. That's just it, right? Is that it's, you can look at it as a detriment from a fan perspective if you're just simply looking at the misconducts 
And I get it because the fans are like, no, we get a claw back in this game, right? I'm not sure if Florida, maybe the players knew themselves that they were in a position to claw back in that game, right? I think they were like, okay. And to your point, it's about sometimes sending a message that, okay, we're going to go back home. And the old saying goes, right? Which is, it's not really, you're not out of a series until you lose at home. Yep. No question, a, a incredibly important game three back uh, in, uh, in in Southeast Florida. But like you said, you're trying to, like you said, you're trying to almost stick up for yourself as a team, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, the, the, the scoreboard is certainly one-sided, but we're not just going to hang our heads and just coast through this game. We're going to still make you earn the 60 minutes, right? And we're not going to, like yeah. you said, roll over and play dead. That's that's yeah. what it is. I mean, and again, I, I and get he's, And he's still driving possession. Like I said, I mean, it's yeah. not like he hasn't created opportunities and that's kind of how the playoffs go you know you look at matthew kachuk and the knock was that he's not a playoff performer you know and you know even look at a guy for example in dallas jason robertson great goal scorer right look at you know both seattle and then on the other side in vegas how they both were able to shut him down for the most part it's like good players are going to get that tough matchup and it's up to them to try to find a way around matthew kachuk has done half of the battle he's getting the opportunities he's just not getting the bounces necessary that he was getting in those earlier rounds um, right now, know, I mean, uh, to add to this, though, Noah, you you wonder if the there is a conversation now you're going to because you're entering. I mean, without question, right, a must win game three. You know, how does Matthew Kachuk stay disciplined but still play his style of game? Right. Because, again, if you say give up the first goal in game three. Right. You know, the sort of emotions, you know, you're, you're going to again, you you know, it's an important game. You wonder what that approach or that response is going to look like. Yeah. It, ha- it has to be a close game. And, you know, and yeah. And, like, and at the end, even if it isn't right, it, even if it isn't, you know, yeah. I, I still think that maybe that changes a bit because at the end of the day, you, if, it, if it's not close, you got to focus on trying to get the puck in the net. Like, I don't know, but, and you know, I might be wrong in this, but I do think and maybe this is what Vegas wants, right? Going up to nothing. Yes, Florida's going home. You're sort of forcing the hand of the Panthers and maybe even Matthew Kachuk to be not maybe playing the full tilt of what he can bring. Uh, because again, with Florida coasting through the first three rounds, right? They were able to really be that agitator, be that aggressor, be that physical force, right? Because they play with the lead half the time. Or if it was close enough, they could crawl back and then still maintain that style. Vegas and their offensive output in Bobrovsky, who has looked a little bit more human to only half of his fault, right? He's not been getting a lot of help in front of him. But you kind of wonder, does that change their approach in certain people's games to game three? Because... You know, now you know that the, the you know if the pressure cooker wasn't already on, it's it's certainly at high to near you know explosive pressure. Yeah. Fl- Florida's shown that they can handle you know close hockey games and tight hockey games. So I think if they keep it close, I think game two again was an anomaly. The only other game that we've seen yeah. like that was maybe game one against Boston. You know where the the spread yeah. was kind of awkward like that. The other thing is only eleven forwards and seven defensemen dressing, which actually helped in the back end with Gudis going down. But I mean, yeah. um, you know, a more normal lineup probably anticipated in some capacity when they head back down to South Florida. So, uh, nonetheless, Game Three on Thursday, Game Four on Saturday. Of course, then we would wait until Tuesday for Game Five, and then I believe 
it would be um, Friday, actually, Friday. for for game yeah. six and then Monday for game seven, if needed, on the 19th of June uh, to finish out this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the other groups getting ready to do battle in the AHL, uh, the Hershey Bears and the first year Coachella Valley Firebirds. What an incredible story this has been. Yes. Um, you know, both of these teams, absolute powerhouses um, in their respective uh, divisions, the way that they've kind of carved through the playoffs here. And um, you look at kind of the way that both of these teams have gotten here too. And it's a, it's a unique story because of the fact that Coachella Valley has a couple of high-end guys, Cole Land, Max McCormick, Cam Hughes, Alexander True, right? Uh, Riker Evans, throw him in there on the back end as well too. Um, Jeremy McKenna um, as well. You're guys, Jimmy Schultz. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's <laughs> just I say, well, he's got seven points, but I mean, it's like, um, you know, you look at how top heavy they are, you know, they're a team that they, they like to bring offensive punch. That's kind of their MO. Hershey's a little bit more balanced. Their leading scorer only has 12 points. Let's not forget fourth on that list, former Minot Minotaro and former uh, team North Dakota development camp linemate of mine, Mason Morelli out there, of course, too. But, um, you know, Sam Annis as well, too, uh, for Hershey, by the way, if you remember that name, uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, they're kind of a group that has really been a little bit more methodical in the way that they've won their games. I think that Hershey coming in this matchup a little bit more balanced in terms of like offensive, defensive production. They like tight, low scoring games. They like the ability to kind of feel and control. Coachella Valley is okay with a little bit of run and gun. Again, this is um, probably most akin to Dallas Vegas last round maybe a little bit where uh, you know Hershey is a little bit more like Dallas where they have the offense and punch but they like to play a more structured balanced style of game versus Coachella Valley is like Vegas where they're okay getting into a track meet a little bit here um these two teams meet for game one on Thursday the AHL playoffs I think are a different beast the physicality is something else um uh, yeah should be interesting well, let's not forget the improbable run that Coachella Valley is on, right? Mind you, they didn't play a home game until December 19th. Remember, their building was still being erected down just outside of Palm Springs, California, uh, till then. So they started off the first quarter of the season completely on the road. Um, they had some quote unquote home games actually near the Seattle metropolitan area, um, October, I think early October. But, and then they had again to kind of make up for that a pretty uh, heavy home schedule um, towards the end of the season. But let's not forget too head coach Dan Bilesma, um, who kind of also had that sort of freewheeling sort of, you know, coaching adjunct when he coached the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, but still an experienced head coach. Uh, they've got great goaltending and Joey Decord, former Arizona state sun devil. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a, yeah. sort of into that, but yeah, at the end of it, I don't know. Like it's, it's a. It's going to be a. I keep laughing because why? I mean, you mentioned goaltending. When have we heard this before, St. Cloud State Huskies fans? Thirteen games played, um, two shutouts, a one eight five goals against, ten wins, three losses, and a nine twenty nine save percentage for some guy named Hunter Shepard. Yeah. <laughs> Every and, level, and, man. I mean, it's well, and it was it between the two squads. Uh, that are in the Calder Cup finals somewhere of like eight to 10 former NCHC players mm-hmm. that will be taking part in this. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool, right? So it's cool when you have uh, Dackard, who you mentioned, who has a two, three, seven and a nine twenty four with a shutout to go along with that 12 and seven. And like, that's bad compared to Hunter yeah. Shepard's numbers. Like, 
Right. Now, the one thing I will tell you with Coachella Valley, yes, they, they're kind of a more an open style offensively, but uh, there's one name on that squad that uh, I know you'll want. How about Matt Tennyson? Uh, and Matt Tennyson, again, former Shark, he, he was kind of a journeyman in, in the NHL, but actually kind of grew up pretty close to Palm Springs. So being that, you know, a guy that's, you know, been up and down uh, in the pros his career um, and is getting the opportunity to play for a first year team that, mind you, they're building absolutely gorgeous. Uh, again, Seattle, who took a big step, their parent uh, club, uh, getting to the second round this year, something the Wild apparently can't do. Uh, Matt's pissed a ton of Wild fans off. But at the end of it, uh, to be able to essentially compete for the American Hockey League Calder Cup, doing it for a team that you're sort of close to home. Um, who would have thought hockey in Southeast California when he started playing hockey? Uh, pretty nuts, right? So kind of cool, right? Because uh, if anybody hasn't checked out Akershire Arena down there, probably should. It's very, uh, shall we say, the vibe is very Palm Springs. Um, but gorgeous arena. The fan support has been really good from what we hear. Um, and it's going to be quite the battle with the Hershey Bears, who I think, at least on paper, are the favorite because of, like you said, their balance. But uh, nonetheless, uh, great finals ahead there in the American Hockey League. Again, a lot of former names that we've covered uh, throughout their college years that will be going off either with each other or against each other, depending on what side of the uh, the coin they're on. Yeah, you know, a lot of players, obviously, like you mentioned, NCHE guys, former uh, St. Cloud home product, ended up playing the University of North Dakota, Austin Pagansky, uh, yep. in the lineup as well. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys that just uh, have a chance to make an impact. You mentioned, you know, uh, former um, former players that we've known just around the Minnesota hockey circles as well, Gustav Olofsson as well, too. Of course, a, mm-hmm. a fairly prominent name in that regard, too, on the back end for Coachella Valley as well, too. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting matchup. Of course, like we mentioned, it starts on Thursday, June 8th, 7 o'clock Pacific Daylight Time. <laughs> so well, was, there, was it Arizona? Would be still daylight time, yeah, because they don't they don't do the or is that New Mexico? I forget. Yeah. One of them doesn't do daylight savings times anymore. So in case, obviously, of course, first two games in Coachella Valley. So if you're following along, the first two games, of course, are going to be at nine o'clock Central, ten o'clock Eastern, uh, start time for there, and then of course games uh the following tuesday and thursday the 13th and 15th of june will be in hershey those will be seven o'clock eastern daylight six o'clock central four o'clock pacific so uh keep up if you can uh game five if necessary don't forget the format structure is a little bit different uh it's two three two for the ahl so um yeah so then saturday june 17th will be game five if needed same time on the eastern side of things and then it would be a monday june 19th for game six which would coincide with game seven at the nhl level if needed um you would actually probably be able to see the end of the ahl game should game seven go for the stanley cup final by the way because of course pacific time start and if needed the ahl playoffs would actually end later than the nhl if both went to seven games wednesday june 21st seven o'clock pacific time Coachella Valley hosting Hershey for game seven, if needed. So um, we'll be keeping an eye on it like we normally do. Uh, It's uh, a a lot of, like you mentioned, a lot of great college uh, touches and NCHC touches into those matchups and two teams that are really good. I think people think of AHL hockey and they think of it as this, you know, sleeper minor league, whatever it is. No, it is a physical, heavy style of hockey it is kind of a jungle honestly um and a lot of really great skill i i think that it would be very entertaining if you could uh if you're ever uh in hershey or in coachella valley you get a chance to take him any of these games would definitely highly highly recommend 
Uh, moving into the last topic in the main portion of the show, Nick, I've been waiting all day for this one. And it's uh, pretty exciting, honestly. Um, you think about this St. Cloud State men's roster. Uh, we're excited to talk about it. Of course, before we get to that, a uh, couple of tidbits here. One on the international side of things. First of all, congrats to the United States sled hockey team winning the world championships with a 6-1 to one victory uh, the other night. Of course, my former high school hockey coach, Dave Hoff, the head coach of that team, uh, another championship medal under his belt for that group that u.s sled hockey program has been dominant since they first put things in place back in 2009 2010 and they've literally been unstoppable like canada can't even touch them um so congratulations to them another great victory for them under their belt and then of course our own st cloud state brett larson named the assistant coach for the 2024 united states world junior club um no surprise there has international experience before uh, yeah, I mean, you got a chance to talk to him the last time he had an opportunity yeah. like this, Nick. Um, obviously, I would imagine means quite a bit for a guy like him. It does. Um, and I think any hockey coach, right, would tell you, as Brett said, you know, anytime you get to represent your country on, you know, the world's biggest stage, you know, you take that opportunity, right? And for those who don't know, the head coach, David Carl, uh, Denver's head coach. And so, who? Right. Uh, the guy who. <laughs> yeah. good. good thing well, the last one was only Mike Sullivan, right? Right. Um, but, you know, it, what does that show in terms of respect, right? In terms of, you know, you've got um, a young coach uh, that's already won, uh, won a national championship who's certainly at some point going to touch, you know, shall we say higher levels of hockey with his coaching career. Uh, but to have that uh, shall accolade for someone that you go do battle with, right? Um, and, and we say it in there a lot, right? But uh, Brett Larson, I would put in that same category too, is that at some point, um, deservedly so, will likely get a crack at the professional gigs. Uh, but yeah, good to see that he's getting a chance to once again serve on the international stage. A um, couple of other assistant coaches again on that uh, roster, but Brad Larson getting a second crack at it um, and deservedly so. January 12th and 13th and March 1st and 2nd on the road and at home against Denver. So if you can find a way to find the lineup card on top of that too, while you're uh, having a conversation with him, Brett, not a bad thing either. Um, (laughs) uh, As far as the roster that would be constructed for St. Cloud on the men's side of here, of course, this information coming from centericeview.com talking about the anticipation that the roster, including the freshmen is pretty close to being set, so to speak. So I thought, Well, I had an hour off before we ended up doing the show today. So like Nick said, my free time is dangerous. Uh, So I decided let's run with it. Let's see what this roster would look like if we put all 27 of these guys uh, on a lineup card and see what we kind of thought here. Of course, uh, this is the last year. uh, And Nick, you mentioned this in previous shows. This is the last year where the seniors in this group are the last COVID eligible fifth year players moving into next season. So next year will be the last year of the COVID eligibility rules. The Huskies have three players that fit this bill, Nick, on this roster. Uh, Why don't we have some fun here? Can you name any of them? VD Miatnan. Yep. Two forwards and a goaltender. So goalie's easy. Okay. Yep. Bassy. And yep. then who else mm. am I missing? A second. This one's a tough one, I think. Is it Kupka? It is Joey Molinar. It's Joel. That's right. Joey Molinar. Yeah. Kyler Kupka, of course, fifth year player. So, um, oh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I know it's so because I mean, you're right that, you know, him and Okabe obviously are qualified for that Dylan Anhorn, of course, as well, too. Right. Um, so but yeah, no. Uh, so those three guys, of course. Now, 
you look at the makeup of this squad, should it be what center is view and Bill Prout has put together here, 15 forwards, nine defensemen, three goaltenders. Uh, and in fact, you look at the freshmen coming in, especially on the forward side, we'll get to them. I, uh, it's a very center-heavy freshman group. Shocker, right? Ooh, um, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Um, in fact, uh, well, why don't we start in the back end? Let's let's save the best for last, shall we? Uh, of course, no surprise. Dominic Bassey probably going to get the first look uh, in net. Uh, I would say James Gray is going to push him, and I'm curious to see how Isaac Posh looks. Uh, you know, for him coming in uh, this season as a freshman. So. Um, of course, Isaac Posh, one of three guys that we anticipated were going to be here for sure. Now, Nick, if you remember correctly, about a month, maybe two months ago even, we talked about we had three guys that we said, yep, they're going to be here, no doubt about it. We had five players that we thought, ah, maybe they're going to get a look. There's probably going to be some mix of those guys. And then we had a bunch of guys that, um, in fact, one, two, three, six players that we said probably not this year. Um, would you like to know how we did, Nick? Not great. Actually, the opposite, I think. Um, so, of course, three for you three. You know. Well, here's the math. <laughs> as, I, uh, as of course, I, I love to revert to. Uh, three for three on the obvious ones. Isaac Posh, Jack Ryman, Caleb Thiessen. Um, three for five on the maybes, Nick. Um, and the fourth one was Leo Gruba, which could okay, have gone yeah. either way. And the fifth one that is not coming is Gavin Thorson from Andover. Of course, he's only 18, but was yeah. an absolute stud this year for Andover. So, I mean, just... You know, could have given him a look. Uh, Werner Miettinen, Barrett Hall, Tyson Gross are the three others in that group that we got correct. The only one that we missed that was on our not this year list was Warren Clark uh, from Steinbach. So, um, and maybe that had a little bit to do with what Leo Gruba had planned to do um, mm -hmm. potentially. So I'd say we did not too bad. Uh, we had one addition on top of that that was not on this list that, of course, just committed this past month in May. So, couldn't anticipate that. Um, and we were pretty accurate. We said maybe two to three transfers for this club. They had two. So yep. um, I'd say we did okay, all things considered. Um, on the defensive side, uh, we have nine. So uh, for me, um, I figure we do it this way. Uh, for those who don't know, Nick has not seen this lineup chart that I have put together. Um, so you I'm just going to be on on the screen here shortly <laughs> yeah you get to kind of react to it firsthand here but for me my first pairing uh dylan anhorn josh lidke uh, oh that was a tough one yeah fifth year player in the junior <laughs> it it gets difficult as we get down into the bottom of this deep oh, pairing sure. here though yeah. um second pairing here nick i have jack peart and cooper wiley um i really liked what cooper wiley brought to the table last season and i think this gives the lineup a little bit of balance where of course you let jack peart flourish a little bit but i think cooper wiley a great player on both sides of the puck really kind of earned that that third pairing spot as the season went on and was a mainstay there i think this might be a year where the sophomore defenseman really kind of maybe makes a jump i mean is there another name that you feel like would be more applicable or you know my third pair really. my, my third pairing is mason reiners with carl falk um, on the back end. So that might be the only switch as you wonder if Falk is more of a stay at home defenseman. And the reason why that could be a pairing that they, at least they play with, with Jack Peart is what have we talked about that next step for Jack Peart? We saw that in, shall we say sparks during their run towards uh, their NCAA appearance when he uh, started to use his feet more, right? Carry the puck, right? Uh, you kind of wonder if that's something that they try. That's maybe the only switch that I would have. Mm -hmm. 
but I can't say I disagree with your lineup, which I know you love to hear. So there you go. <laughs> Carl Falk, of course, 24 points in 31 games played last season for Alaska. So um, yeah, as I have it listed, uh, Peart and Wiley and Reiners and Falk would be a junior and a sophomore paired together, respectively. The switch that you talked about, two juniors as the second pairing, two sophomores rounding out that third pairing. Uh, really, that third pairing uh, and extra defenseman, should you play it? Brett Larson loves an extra defenseman more often than not uh caleb teeson big division one ready body in terms of his size warren clark as well to a big body both those guys you know six four six five i mean you know big guys and then somehow so yeah and then the addition here uh the recent commit of course uh earlier this may uh tynan ewart uh 10th in league scoring, leading all defensemen coming from the SJ, actually. Uh, his stats, uh, highly, highly impressive. Yeah, a great pickup. I would imagine they had his, uh, their eye on him and then as the playoffs developed here. So, Nick, tell me if this is good. So, of course, playing for Battleford, the North Stars uh, in the SJ. Um, on the back end, 56 points in 55 games, 8 goals, 48 assists, and casually 14 points, 2 goals, 12 assists in 13 playoff games as well, too. It's all right. <laughs> Pretty dang good. Uh, like I said, 10th in can, league. Score. Can we can we go a little bit further? Because isn't it, you know, offensive defenseman, right? Essentially. Yeah. Uh, we haven't talked about one name that is still technically available. Try tried to look him up and could not find nothing. But yeah. right. But what I th- what I'm going where I'm going with this is if we haven't heard yet, my gut instinct would tell me he's not coming back. Yeah. Trey ball. Yeah, no, because I, I think we would have heard that by now. I think so. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And I think that so, of course, like I said, 10th in league scoring for you the next closest defenseman was Reese Richmond in Flin Flon. He was at 28 points less and one less game played for him compared to you. So um, here's the thing between Tease and Clark, you and I guess, you know, throw Wiley Reiners and maybe even Carl Falk as the unknown there. And you're trying to round out, you know, your bottom three and your extra defenseman here. The only thing that I think about is, you know, for you uh, especially, you have a great offensive defenseman, but when you're looking for a guy who's a third pairing D man or a seventh defenseman, does Brett Larson want a guy like that? Who's maybe a power play specialist, good offensive catalyst that you can throw in, or do they want the more prototypical? We go back a couple of years, Tyler Anderson S guy, who's just a good, solid, reliable stay at home defenseman, you know, and I think that's, what's going to run into is which one of these guys, you know, if you produce enough offensively, you're in the lineup regardless, you know, and I think Carl Falk is included in that where it's like, is he going to be that stay in home guy? And do you put him in the third pairing or does he make sense with a guy like Jack Peart where he needs a little bit of coverage on the defensive side while he runs offensively? Or do you want the full offensive spread? You know, a guy like Tynan that we talked about that is just going to bring that offensive punch as well too. So Brett Larson has a lot of options here really as to how to play, um, play a little bit more offensive or defensively structured, depending on what he wants. I, historically in years past, St. Cloud has not shied away from activating their defenseman from the point. Yep. I don't disagree that that would be the plan again this year. We're going to jump to it in just a second, but I think the lack of center depth or proven center depth, so to speak on the forward side might make them a little bit tentative, at least to start the season yep. until they kind of know what they have on the forward side here. But on, on the defensive side with these guys like Ewart Clark, Tyson coming in as freshmen, three great, great players that bring a lot of good offensive punch, a lot of experience at the USHL level respectively or in Steinbach. Um, what do you expect from these guys who are all big bodies? 
You know, you again, you know, Brent Larson has, you know, in years past, you need the offensive catalyst, you know, the, you know, the Jimmy Schultz, the Jack of Sean's, uh, Nick Perbix, right? Um, and, you know, I, I think for that newest commit, right? I'm not sure you're looking at him maybe this year as being that full time guy because one of the things about, young offensive defensemen, right, is there's some things that they lack and that's their own zone, right? And again, it gets harder at this level, right? So you kind of wonder if that's, you get some experience maybe and, you know, at least get him assimilated and see how he, how he reacts, especially in practice, right? This yeah. is what St. Cloud does very well as they simulate their practices like they're playing games. Um, it's, it's actually very crazy to watch how they practice. It's actually quite unbelievable. Um, but you have a good mix, right? Like you said, you, you can deploy a more offensive type scheme on the back end. If you feel like that's the advantage you ha you have now some of those bigger bodies um, that can, you know, be more of those, you know, shall we say big rangy guys who can be more of a physical presence, maybe, or at least longer reach, right? If you feel like it's going to be more of a, shall we say close tight game where it's going to be a board battle type situation. Um, but that's what we've seen with Brett Larson and his staff, right? Is he likes to take his defensive core and give you different looks. I think the big thing with this group is going to be, again, um, you've got some good experience up top of that lineup. Uh, you have some a little bit, but there's a lot of room for interchanging, even in that yes. bottom third, right? So at, at the end of it, it's going to be kind of fun to watch that battle play out. And if, you know, he ends up kind of sticking with a certain group or does he at times go to 60 and maybe an extra four? We, he doesn't normally do that. He does. It definitely has more gone for the seventh defenseman, as you mentioned, but he's got uh, a lot of good talent with some different skill sets, some different focuses that whether it's this year or even beyond, right. He's got something that he can play now and that he can build for in the future. And, that's wonderful on the back end, especially in this conference where you kind of have to be prepared for different teams to give you different looks, uh, especially in your own zone. Yeah, would totally agree. And you look at the freshman group coming in on the forward side here too. And, you know, I have two forwards right now that are both freshmen that are not only not the extra forward, they are the guys on the outside looking in both these guys with great experience at the, you know, at the respective level guys, both uh, USHL guys. Um, that could easily slot into this lineup very quickly here. So I, you know, I, that's definitely not me saying, Oh yeah, they're clearly a step below, you know, here, like all of these guys could easily slot in this lineup. And that's the beauty of this year, especially at the center position, man, it is there for whoever wants it. There is not yep. one guy that I look at that I go, yup, bolt him into that lineup. And he's clearly going to be in the middle top line center, whatever it's going to be here. This was a tough one here, but I think that's what makes it so exciting is like, you know, there's a lot of unknowns for St. Cloud, especially down the middle, but that also means a lot of opportunity for guys to step up and really kind of make their mark and, you know, get a great opportunity, both for guys that have been a little bit more veteran guys and guys that are just coming into the fold here. It's going to be a very competitive uh, fall as we enter into the lineup here. Here's the cool thing, Nick, um, to the best of my ability, and I'm sure I'm missing some guys here, but as far as guys that have either played center at their respective areas that they're coming from or guys that have played center for games for St. Cloud, for me, I've actually got, uh, if my math is right, which is questionable at best, I've got seven guys that can actually play center on this roster here, Nick. Uh, Werner Mietnin, Joey Molinar, Barrett Hall, Ryan Roseboro, Mason Solquist, Tyson Gross, and Jack Ryman 
can all play in the middle. And part of the way that I did this is I went back through their respective USHL teams or respective teams they played for and tried to take a look at where they were situated as far as the lineup card and seeing, you know, did they play center, you know, especially down the stretch guys that were in playoffs and could confirm that with a lot of them. So um, doesn't mean they're going to play center at the division one level. The transition to wing is usually a lot easier. Um, so a lot of guys, you know, I think a good example would be Mason Salquist, who primarily played on the wing for most of the season last year, um, you know, feels a little bit maybe more comfortable in that regard now being a winger as opposed to being a centerman. But anyway, Nick, here's what I got. Uh, and I, I definitely think these centers can be interchangeable, especially the first and third line center that I have listed here. So it's certainly a lot of room for play by no means set in stone. Um, but I started this top line here, Nick. Um if you remember last year's group centered by Yami Cronulla in the middle of this here, mm -hmm. um, I've kept that group intact. Um, but I feel like with the fact that the productivity wasn't as high for this player as a guy like Barrett Hall, for example, um, has a little bit more insulation on that top line and maybe a little bit of familiarity here, Nick, at least to give him a shot. I know he's a freshman. I have Vieti Mietnin and Zach Okabe centered by Werner Mietnin. Because I think you at least give it a look. Um, simply, be, simply because of the fact that if Vietti Mietnin plays the way he did down the stretch in the last month and a half of the season where he is a defensively responsible winger, engaged hard in on puck battles, and able to play a strong 200-foot game, I think that allows you to put a centerman in there that is able to be quote unquote insulated and be able to grow in that role that, like I said, there's not a centerman in the middle of the ice here. Your most experienced player actually to this point down the middle is Joey Molinar, who I have on the next line. I have him with Kyler Kupka on the left and Adam Ingram on the right. Um, but my thought is with the ability that Zach Okabe brings to the table, and maybe if you want to play it safe, you switch Vietti Manton and Kyler Kupka potentially, and Kupka's with Zach Okabe, for example. But I, in that top six somewhere, you're going to have potentially a young centerman, potentially a freshman centerman that's going to kind of grow through fire a little bit. I don't buy it. You know, I, I mean, I don't. Uh, just I'm not saying that it can't happen. Because as you mentioned, there's a lot of turnover and there's the center positions wide open, right? But mm -hmm. you're forgetting ports. Right. Yeah, but he was the extra. He was an extra forward all season right. from Dakota last year. I get that, but let's take that line that you constructed: Werner, Vietti, and Zach. Not a whole lot of, shall I say, board battle worthy entrance in that in that category. Um, Okabe is a buzzsaw, um, but he's not the guy that's going to win a board battle. Um, Werner is a freshman. I don't. I haven't seen him play. That to me is a lot to ask of a freshman. And VD, I've, I've, I, we know he played better than the stretch, but still, you watch him in the corners against the wall. That's his biggest weakness. Um, I'm just not sold on that particular combination. Not just because of you're putting a freshman in a top six role, but I just, I'm not sure if I like that construction. Um, what I don't disagree with is you're putting Vidi and Werner together in some way, shape, or form. Now, mind you, Vidi, even a couple of weeks before the NCHC playoffs, he was a fourth-line winger. Mm -hmm. 
remember that too, right? So, and it's not because of his ability to shoot the puck. It's without the puck for him, right? That to me is more probable, more than a top six. I'm if I'm being honest. Um, and it's nothing. It's not to take away from what Vidi can do because again, let's go back to the national championship game a couple of years ago. If he shoots a puck a half an inch lower, that goes bar down instead of bar straight back out. That whole attitude of the game is completely different, right? So, but I, I just, I'm not sure if I'm buying that makeup and I'm not sure Brett Larson would either. Well, the problem is, the problem is, and this is where I'm going to throw you a bone here. You're probably in a position with how young and unproven that the center depth is. You may have to try that, right? Yeah. You may have to. Like I said, unless you put Mason Salquist or Ryan Rosborough in the top six along with Joey Molinar, you, you have to have a young guy unless there's somebody that's a returner that plays center that we don't know. Part of my thought process is this, is that Vietti Mietnin, nature of his game, he's a goal scorer, right? Yep. Finds pucks in the high slot, finds that quiet area. You give him a puck anywhere inside the dots, below the top of the circle. It's probably in the back of the net. Werner, of course, on the other hand, we've seen this in Fargo as well. Uh, testament to a couple guys, of course, that have played with him that have skated with in recent weeks, too. He's a puck distributor. I mean, that's just what he does. It makes right. sense. I mean, he's probably the guy that was setting up his brother on the pond going through. And Zach Okabe, hard in, F1 on the wing on the right side. Guy that's going to muck some barn, create some turnovers uh, and the like. So um, still think you need a bigger body there. I do. And, it's, and I will tell you this, Roseboro, who mind you played against the golfers for one game really after that didn't really crack the lineup again that's what i'm saying um so i'm not as confident with rosebro because honestly he's got the size that they want right he's as a centerman but foot speed not i not elite we'll put it that way also without the puck and positioning was sometimes a bit lackey there too in, in different situations different areas of the ice so if anything your safe bet would be Molinar there, wouldn't you think? Well, I have him with Kupka and Ingram on the second line. So, I mean, like I said, I mean, the difference is you're getting one or the other. And, well, why don't we do this? Let's figure, let's round out the rest of the forwards here and we'll kind of talk through it constructively as a whole because we're missing, of course, the entire sec- bottom half of the lineup here. The forward right. group is hard and not in a bad way. Uh, actually, really, like I said, we're not going to have an idea really of where this lineup is. And not to say that we have in years past with Brett. Even you look at last season, there was a lot of changes, a lot of movement, especially in the you know in the middle six, so to speak. Um, but really, this group might not even be solidified at Christmas. There's going to be a lot of guys where their game is going to have to be consistent in order for them to stay in the place that they're supposed to be. Uh, third line here, um, very young line here uh, for me. Yeah. I know your third line is generally your energy line, prototypical shutdown line. I have that more towards my fourth line here. I think Brett Larson can maybe run a little bit of matchup magic here a little bit, maybe especially even for home games for this. Again, the oldest players in this line, they're sophomores. Grant Ashawn and Brett Ro- or Grant Ashawn and Jack Rogers flanking Barrett Hall in the middle. I don't know if you got a chance to see Barrett Hall's highlights. I have. Oh they're my disgusting. goodness. Oh my God. But um, and I then the the you know real quick the caveat that is is that's at a different level right and i'm not yeah, taking anything away yeah, from no i agree all is right but you do kind of wonder does how well does he assimilate right because if he does quickly holy cow yeah. um because Can you imagine if that's your third line matchup like <laughs> well 
I'll throw, <laughs> let me throw another corkscrew into this massive puzzle that, you know, we're, it's tough to visualize, right? Yeah. Imagine Bear Hall does do that. Would you flank him with Adam Ingram? Would you maybe throw one of them to the wing? Actually, my, th- my thought was if Barrett Hall finds some success, you flip him with Werner Mietman, actually, and put him yeah. with Vietti and Zach Okabe. That was my other thought. But the thought is Barrett's young. You know, that's the big thing. Yeah. Werner, obviously, a little bit more experience at that USH level as well, too. Um, fourth line, by the way, Mason Salquist on the left, Ryan Roseborough on the middle, Nick Ports on the right. Ethan Acoin as the extra forward, Tyson Gross, Jack Ryman as the odd men out uh, to start. Of course, remember, Gross and Ryman can both play center as well, yeah. too. Ethan Acoin only had 12 games last season. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets a look. Nick Ports, nine points in 27 last year. Probably about half to two-thirds of those games, he was dressed as the extra forward. And when he wasn't, he was usually on the right side on the wing. So I, I put him there with Mason Salquist and Rosborough, two guys who – um, along with Joey Molinar, have a lot of familiarity with each other in some capacity there. Of course, Salkos can also play in the middle, so you never know. They might move him to the middle and move Barrett or Werner to the wing on one of those units too. Um, yeah, this is a tough, tough task. Uh, I don't know the answer. Neither does the Brett Larson, right? Um, but the Brett Larson. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, well, because you have, you know, we can discuss these things all they want, but at the end of the day, the players will decide for themselves, right? Yes. At the end yeah. of the day. Um, because what we think is in our heads good chemistry to have a little bit of a different skill set in each line because you're trying to balance, right? Because the one thing about Brett Larson's squads, when it's good, he can roll four lines, right? That's his MO. You have to do that, especially in the NCHC. Really, last year where they sort of had trouble was they really only were rolling three lines in some games, right? Yeah. Um, Roseboro, you talk about a huge year for him this year. Again, kind of fell out of favor after the Gopher series, essentially, right? He's going to, I don't think that he's out of the question of being rotated in as an extra skater either, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, but. Yeah, theoretically, yes. well, theoretically. just theor- theoretically, that line could also be a third line if they're effective enough. Three juniors with Nick Ports on that as well, too. Right. Um, the reality is, uh, if you even want to talk returners, let's say you think Ethan Coin is a top, Ethan Coin is a top twelve guy, right, to start the season. You're going to have, at minimum, I would say, yeah, for sure, at minimum, two freshmen in the lineup, if not more. Um, right. In a coin, right, we, we talked about him coming down from the AJ, right, and how he's got, you know, a wicked wrister. Um, again, he kind of had a tough, you know, shall we say, introduction to college hockey, uh, but his raw skill sets there um, defensively in some, shall we say, situational puck management uh, things, normal for freshmen, right? That's just part of it's the growing pains. Uh, you hope that maybe some of those um have been addressed per se he's learned from those because he could be sort of that black ace right a guy who can still uh shoot the biscuit i think he had what 35 plus goals in his last season in the aj i know he potted quite a few was he 35 or 36 what are we talking about Uh, sorry i was ethan a coin um but again it it was the um shall we say the uh the aforementioned traditional freshman okay you know i was this great kid up in you know essentially canadian junior hockey and now I'm coming to the NCAAs yeah. and uh, holy cow. 63 points in 60 games in the AJ. Yeah. So, yeah, he was a point producer. So it shows you that, you know, when we talk about young guys, right, and their accolades, you know, sometimes they don't transition right away. You certainly hope that they transition faster, you know, right. But that's sort of the, the puzzle that Brett Lars and the coaching staff has got to put together, right, which is, 
and I suppose, like you said, the best part about this is a lot of interchangeable parts here, right? You've got center depth to a degree, even though it's mostly young, but you've got centers. Um, the worst thing you can do is, as a center, you just get moved to wing. That's not a bad thing, right? Uh, but in, what, the last two or three years, they just had a lack of, what, just natural good centers, right? Because face-offs, especially bottom six, were an issue. Um, we talked about how good, again, that fourth line that got us to the national championship, good on the face-off, good at their shutdown role, uh, was really good on the forecheck. They just, they really just embodied that fourth line role. I could really kind of see a resurgence of that with some of the names that we threw out here. Uh, again, if um, Ryan Rosebro is able to essentially crack, uh, a can you know, essentially a, a normal lineup spot. That's essentially why he was brought in by Brad Larson. He really saw him being Will Hammer's replacement. Uh, I think he's going to have to prove it pretty early on this season if he's going to want to keep that position. But a lot of hope, a lot of skill uh, yeah. that's going to be coming in up front. It's more of the question of it's youth, right? And it's yeah, it is. And the reality is, you know, you look at Tyson Gross, right? 36 points in 45 games for Cedar Rapids. Uh, you know, we talked about Werner, obviously. Yes. Um, you talk about Jack Ryman, who, of course, had 11 points in 24 games with Des Moines. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, honestly, to see Tyson Gross in that top spot instead of Werner. I mean, like, that's not right. out of the question, too. I, I definitely think you I definitely think you explore the chemistry with him and his brother. You know, I, I you think have you, to. You, yeah. you at least have yep. to give it a look. Um, but other than that, like I said, Tyson Gross could easily be in a top six role here. You know, Barrett Hall might struggle to start the season as well, too, as, as high yeah. as we are on him. I mean, there's a lot of options here. Yeah, this is going to be exciting. I'm very curious to see um, what Brett Larson and company constructs here. But, uh, yeah, Nick, anything else you wanted to add for this men's hockey roster here? Again, I guess the other thing, um, I mean, we haven't heard anything definitive, and normally we don't. We plan on doing our NCHC previews probably starting next month, about a month from now. Um, Do you think that this is close to or potentially is the roster that we're anticipating? Yeah, uh, because one name we haven't mentioned because partly of why we aren't is Tyson Gross is Martin Labins, uh, yep. decommitting from St. Cloud. Uh, interesting that you went from essentially almost no center depth to an overabundance in theory, right? Um, and Martin Labins wasn't which, really sorry. Yeah. Well, Martin Lavin's actually, if you look at the lineup card, was usually the third line center compared to Cedar Rapids. Yeah, yeah, yeah the fourth line. Yeah. Um, and shall we say, I mean, he probably would have solidified some of that bottom six, but you kind of wonder from Lavin's perspective and probably knowing Larson and the coaching staff, probably a, an honest conversation, right? Yeah. Um, that he, there probably wasn't a guarantee there for him, right? And so he decides, was it UConn that he went to? Well, I think the thing too is like, you know, 19 points in 41 games. Like I said, you know, for Lavins, Tyson Gross, 36 and 45, and he was playing below him in the lineup at points. Tyson Gross was yeah, like, but- you know, I, I think that that that's something to be said too, where, I mean, not that point production is everything we've talked about this. And of no. course, Ryan, uh, Gross, excuse me, had, of course, a, a significant, uh, I believe it was, let me just make sure. Yes. A significant injury the year prior. Um, yep. So maybe that plays a factor into things too, but it's hard to deny that point production. If you have a guy who's uh, listed at the it end is, of the season but... anyway, as a bottom six centerman, and he is a 0.75 point per game player, how do you not salivate at that a little bit? You know what I mean? No, like, I get that. But you know, 
sometimes, you know, and, and this is where the conversation with the coaching staff comes into play, right? Which is, you know, you, you, it's not that it's anything to do with Barrett Hall, right? But it's more of we in our heads as the coaching staff. And again, this is still not guaranteed, right? But you think in your heads, okay, this is what my opening roster might look like in terms of, okay, the, this guy could be, essentially he's a top six guy, right? Because he's, that's his skill set. Martin Lavin's the way he's played, bottom six, but very good at that. Yeah. You know, And that's the part that is concerning to me, not because I think the what, it's not, like you said, it's not about the point production, but he could be that anchor, right, in a bottom six role that could provide you exactly what you're looking for in terms of a third line or a fourth line center. Will Hammer. Right. And yeah. at the end of the day, you have Roseboro there, you have some other potentials there, and you kind of wonder if the conversation centered around is like, I've got a log jam there. Um, not sure, you know, you'll have to earn it or however that conversation went, right? Which if we know Brett Larson, it was probably more of you got to earn it, right? Which is the right way to do it. And yeah. he probably saw the depth and a couple of other pieces said, I don't know if there's room for me. You know, I get it. Hockey players want to play. Uh, they want to be in night in, night out. And in his mind, yeah. maybe just was too crowded of a field. Who knows? Well, the reality is every guy on this roster was the guy or relatively the guy right. at their previous roster. And that's a big challenge when you jump to the next level. There's no doubt with this St. Cloud team, they are a bit of a wild card this season. With this roster, they yes. could finish second. They could finish fifth. Like, I, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> confusing. Yeah, I mean, it could be really interesting. Remember, you uh, picked North Dakota to finish first. Hey, the Tigers could finally, this could be their year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, well, it, in our defense, right, the Tigers, they got to the NCHC championship game. They definitely had a, a better. Don't cheer for them, though. It. What's that? Don't cheer for them, though. Don't put it on social media. I know, right? So, <laughs> with that being said, uh, what has just been released on social media, men's and women's schedules here, as well as a poll that we're going to be putting out ourselves a little bit about our future of our show. You're not going to want to miss it. We need your fan input here as we move on to the extra ice set. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, Nick Max and Noah Grant. Uh, of course, uh, talking schedules here to start for both the men's and women's team. Um, we'll probably deep dive, uh, especially into the men's side here. And again, we, of course, want to do our NCHC previews probably starting sometime in early July um, when we maybe hear a little bit more news for some of these teams potentially. Um, but the reality is uh, we probably won't spend a ton of time on the schedule because we'll be revisiting it on the men's side. Women's side might be a little bit different. I'll tell you what, though, whoever did these graphics for both the men's and women's things for the university, especially the women's one. Yeah. Prime primo. Great. A love it. Um, well, let's start as we did in the show earlier. Let's start on the women's side here. Why don't we, um, uh, starting off here. Um, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember my logos here, Nick. I they believe they have an exhibition matchup, matchup on uh, September 23rd and 24th. Uh, and then they've got Mercyhurst the 6th and the 7th. So yep. they start their exhibition matchup at home. And then they travel both to Mercyhurst and then start, I believe, conference play. Um, I believe uh, October 13th and 14th uh, at home against Bemidji State. That'll be an interesting matchup. A lot of BSU uh, commits to St. Cloud through the transfer portal this season. And then uh, in Minnesota, October 17th, just a single day. Then 2023 Icebreaker Tournament, um, they 
uh, are playing Northeastern and then Sacred Heart the 20th and 21st of October. So a tournament kind of right in the middle. So uh, essentially two weekends of non-conference exhibition, two conference weekends, then you have the icebreaker tournament and then back into it again, October 27th, 28th, they play Mankato um, at home before going on the road to Wisconsin, home and home against St. Thomas, uh, starting the month of December on the road at Ohio State, single game December 5th against Minnesota. So the Minnesota matchups uh, to start uh, essentially 2023 at least are going to be single game sets. So keep an eye on that. Um, and then the Bulldogs uh, come visit December 8th and 9th um, before the holiday break. About a month off, actually a little more than a month off. January uh, at home against Mankato, home and home against St. Thomas, at home against Ohio State. Into February, they host Wisconsin, home and home against Minnesota, the only weekend as far as I can tell where they actually have multiple game sets against the Gophers. Uh, and then the Duluth Bulldogs on the road February 16th and 17th, and then on the road at Bemidji the next weekend, the last weekend basically of February to round out the regular season before they head into playoff action. Nick, you look at this schedule here for this women's program, uh, kind of an interesting one. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that, the way that the Minnesota games are split and just kind of the start to the season, so to speak, here. Um, but seems like a relatively favorable schedule for the matchups. I mean, the only one that I can see here is besides the stretch in late January, early February, where it's Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Duluth, and then yeah. December, where it's two games against Ohio and a single one against Minnesota, uh, the rest of that matchup is favorable, but I guess if you throw the Bulldogs in there, they're, of course, in the mix in that end of December matchup, too. Um, this team's going to have to earn it. We talk about it every year, uh, and this roster has a lot of turnover. What do you think of the schedule? It, it's sort of a seesaw. Don't you Don't you kind of see it the same way? Uh, yeah. Because like you mentioned, right, it, and it's almost, okay, so you get, you know, a couple of, you get a home series, and then your big traveler out to Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, to uh, to host uh, to, not to host but to go to Mercyhurst, uh, so then you're back at home, uh, and then you know some shall we say local flavor for you're back out east again in Connecticut, um, kind of a pro schedule, yeah, which is sort of like kind of Idolski if you think about it, um, <laughs> because if you think about it, uh, what's next after that is it's Mankato to kind of get you back into the WCHA, then it's heavy hitting right, it's Wisconsin. A little break with St. Thomas, and it's Ohio, Minnesota, Duluth. Uh, yeah, it's it, and then again that stretch in February, Wisconsin, the Gophers, Duluth, yikes, right? Um, yeah. And Ohio State. So you you'll, you're going to have a month where it's going to be the gauntlet. And I think if you're yeah. Idelsky, right, um, especially with the way that those rosters have constructed, and we've talked about that in different episodes. That's sort of. I mean, you can't avoid it, right? The WCHA is WCHA, but you yeah. kind of wonder if this is sort of a test for them a little bit, right? Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to be able to probably take a couple on the chin, for lack of a better term. What's next for this program? And, you know, you talk about the single game sets against the Gophers. Remember that December game? That was where they beat the Gophers for yeah. the first time in a very long time. Um, here, I, I think the next step for this program is can you try to take some of these other programs and try to earn a split, right? And that is maybe you fall in the first game on Friday, but can you pick yourself up and then battle back? Because again, a lot of these opponents that we are going to see in rapid succession, it was close 
for a lot of these games, right? The, well, the women kept him close. Yeah. But, but it almost seemed like they, they ran out of gas after game one and then game two uh, was more in favor of, shall we say, the, the higher seated team. But I, I don't know. Like, it, it's... The schedule makes schedule makes sense though, doesn't it? Because you talk about that exact issue. We're going to have a lot of roster confusion, both on the men's yep. and women's side, for who's going to be playing where here. You look at the start. By the way, the team they play early on is Union. I I couldn't yep. remember the logo, and it looks like uh, Utah's logo as well too. So I was like, "There's no way they're playing Utah, are they?" Um, but uh, I didn't even know they had a women's team. Uh, but, back, remember that was uh, that, that program's been in recess for what two, three years now because yeah, of the yeah, yeah. So this is actually um, the first year they're back. So good for them. Yeah. Um, well, they're not playing St. Cloud. I can tell you that much. But uh, yeah, well, you look at the the start of this, besides, of course, Minnesota, that single game, and then Wisconsin in November, until you hit December, you don't really have an opponent that has given you a, a ton of trouble in recent seasons here. I think the first half of this schedule, at least into December, is getting them set up to where they're going to work out some of the kinks in the lineup, kind of feel an identity for what they have, what the structure is going to be, how Brian Idolsky wants to play the identity crisis that this team is going to have. Because every team has it every year. What group are you going to get? What is the MO for this? What is the bonding methodology? Then you have uh, essentially uh, five games at the start of December, where you're going to have three really tough opponents, Ohio, Minnesota, Duluth. And then you go back to the drawing board for a month during Christmas break and say, okay, we primed ourselves up for the big dogs here, literally and figuratively. How did we perform? How do we need to tweak? Handle Mankato and St. Thomas. And then at the tail end of January, you face the gauntlet before getting to Bemidji at the end of the season to say, okay, here is our test. If we had to push to the playoffs, how would we look? over this stretch of games against tough opponents when we're a little more seasoned, a little more ready, and then that'll get them ready for the playoffs here. I I feel like maybe that was the idea. Of course, you don't, you don't have 110% control over your schedule, but got a little, I mean, but you know, it's, if that's the way you look at it in that prism, right. Um, that makes sense. Um, and again, uh, with Idolsky system, again, more, again, with the transfers and the folks that are still here, um, maybe more players to that DNA, that you know, really strong defensive structure type team. You're gonna have to play those tight games where you give yourself a chance. That's how they're able to steal a couple of games against those higher ranked opponents last year, especially within the WCHA conference. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, question is, again, as we talk about it every season or prior to, does it result in wins? Right, and that's really. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, and I, I know we'll probably talk about this at a different time, but, and, and, you know, what's the level of success for Idolski in that squad, right? Only time will tell again, a lot of roster turnover as can happen in a coaching, uh, change a culture shock, you know, mm-hmm. into what the Huskies are still essentially in. Right. Um, it's going to be interesting, but at the end of it, like you mentioned, they're going to get some time to try to figure things out within the roster. Um, the first, what? eight weeks, nine weeks of the season. And then it's like, all right, well, let's see how we do here. Let's, let's, you know, put on the boxing gloves and get in the ring and see what, see how we handle ourselves. And that's the WCHA. That's why you play uh, this in this conference is for those tough tests. And we've talked about ad nauseum essentially since April, some of the additions, some of these programs have, you know, have, have, have had. So um, it's exciting because again, I think, 
especially after this last season, there's, there's renewed optimism for this program um, that they have the right guy who's sending the right message, pushing the right buttons at the right time. Um, and certainly you can see how this team is eventually going to evolve and be uh, certainly in a better spot than they have been in previous seasons. Certainly would agree on the men's side, of course, uh, 24 conference games for them. Their schedule, a little more straightforward Two opponents, of course, that they will only see one time next season. That would be North Dakota and Colorado college. They will not visit Ralph Ingolstead next season. Um, oh. But they will visit Ed Robeson Arena, so we will not host the Tigers, but we will host North Dakota. We'll not visit North Dakota next season. So let's go through that schedule. Of course, men's hockey, uh, prototypical, where they start uh, besides Bemidji State in late December. The rest of their non-conference schedule is at the start of their season. Uh, what's become kind of uh, prototypical here, October 7th and 8th, St. Thomas uh, gets us started here for the season. Uh, home and home, they will be at home and then on the road, respectively, in that weekend against the Tommies. Uh, and then on the road for both games against Mankato the next weekend, October 13th and 14th, before a home series against Alaska the 20th and 21st of October. That is going to be so much fun. Uh, in fact, I should look back uh, at some point when the last time Alaska has been here. Um, and then we start conference play November. Yeah, yeah. It's been a hot minute, hasn't it? Uh, starting conference play against Miami uh, at home November 3rd and 4th on the road in Kalamazoo at Western Michigan the 10th and 11th. Um, that'll be a, get that out of the way early. Too. That'll be an interesting test, yeah. Uh, and then on the road early against Duluth, um, total schedule flip-flop from what we've been used to for the past couple of years. Uh, and then on the road during Thanksgiving weekend in Michigan against the Wolverines. Um, that'll be good hockey. Say in Michigan? Uh, sorry, at home. Sorry. Yeah, you are right. Uh, at home. So, so barring that they don't have a sickness, <laughs> they should be there. <laughs> so they say. Uh, nice. and. And then on the road, Baxter Arena, December 8th and 9th against Omaha. So it looks like the Huskies, they play Thanksgiving weekend, and then they have a bye week the first weekend of December. So the women play, the men are off at that point. Uh, and then the Huskies are off until after Christmas break, December 29th on the road and December 31st at home. So there is a day gap in between those two Bemidji state home and home series over the holiday break. And then back in action, they'll have the following weekend off before coming back January 12th and 13th at, at home against Denver. Like we mentioned earlier, Brett Larson, find that lineup card when you're at the world juniors. Okay, please. Thanks. Um, and then at home again. So actually, um, sorry, excuse me at home for a four game homestand on January 19th through the 27th, North Dakota and Omaha, respectively. So on the road in Denver to start January, close out that month at home against North Dakota and Omaha. February 2nd and 3rd on the road at CC, and then in Miami the following weekend before coming home against Western Michigan to round out the month of February, and then at home against Denver, and then on the road at Duluth. So it was right. Duluth is the yep. home games November. So they have a four game homestand in November. Um, and then they finish on the road at Duluth. I was going to say, I was like, that makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. Cause they flipped the last series between those two home and away every year. So that's, yeah. it's the can right. You, can you tell that we're an hour and 40 minutes into the show? Goodness gracious. Um, but we anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to, of course, we're going to dive into this again when we hit the men's uh, uh, NCHE preview. So we'll go over all this again. But I guess before we get to the final little topic of our show where we need our fans' help, Nick, here, um, 
the Huskies men's team, as do the women, of course, need the fans help to be in the building for those home games. If they can remember what weekends they're on and not listen to me uh, on the men's side here. What do we like here about this schedule? Uh, I like the non-conference schedule actually quite a bit. Michigan, um, you know, a good early test uh, bringing Alaska in uh, uh, coming off of a, shall we say a postseason They probably thought they should have been a part of. Uh, thank you. Pairwise and all your fun as well as uh, shall we say the old WCHA. Maybe we can, put some blame on that too. Uh, but at the end of it, again, I love the partnership with, with St. Thomas. Um, again, St. Thomas is going to be another step better again this year. Um, they're under the right leadership with Rico Blas, and they've got some really good names in the transfer portal coming into St. Thomas. That that actually might be a pretty darn good series to get things started. And yeah. uh, I kind of hope that they continue this even in the next couple of years because uh, we we said it right off the bat that with Rico at the helm and you know give it a couple of years, this team will be competitive quick. I, I think they're gonna I think they're going to surprise some people in the CCHA, especially with the lack of better the dismantling of Mankato and uh, the fallout from Mike Hastings, even though I don't think there is terribly bad of a spot as people are claiming but they're certainly not where they were um at the end of last season that's for sure um well it's a good thing you know st cloud doesn't play wisconsin because then they'd have mankato four times so yeah right um so uh but then you know again uh open up against miami who should be again uh, improved you're getting uh, into loss and early, which I think is important because we know how tough it is to play there. Again, uh, Holman uh, with Duluth and then Michigan. Again, Michigan, uh, we know what they've been the last couple of years. Like, I know a perennial, uh, essentially, contender to be a national championship team. Uh, Bemidji State, again, they've kind of been that holiday sort of team that they've faced. Another home and home there with the day in between there on the schedule. So that is always a good time for the former WCHA rival opponents. Uh, but how about this, right? Uh, not having to travel to Ralph Engelstead Arena. When's the last time that that's happened? It's been a year yeah. for that, too. Which is, I'm sure, it, it, uh, not that that's a hostile environment at all, um, but I'm I'm yeah. sure it's uh, equally disappointing for the players, though, too, right? I mean, that's yeah. a mar- marquee trip, I think, for a lot of guys. So I think that, you know, so especially... Possible, depending on how the postseason shakes out. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you guys don't want to visit America's Wasteland, though. I mean, come on. Uh, I think if it was in March first round, I think you are taking that trip. But hey, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I certainly agree. And then, of course, as you mentioned, NCHC gauntlet through the second half, like it normally is. But uh, um, yeah, a lot of things, of course, to to figure out with this men's and women's team here. Uh, and uh, as far as us for our show here, of course, we're pro- approaching an hour and forty five here, and. I guess don't want to give too much away here, but I think the long and skinny of it here as we move forward into our show uh, and Nick, obviously you and I have had extensive talks about this uh, off the air. Uh, there is uh, probably some sort of transition for us coming related to uh, the way that we host uh, the podcast um, and the way some things work. I don't want to give away too much until we know those things are set in stone just in case something changes. Um, but those changes are potential and, Probable, I guess I would put it uh, in that way. But I think we're like Mythbusters term that's confirmed. It's plausible. Plausible. Um, Great show, by the way. Um, They're just like us, two co-hosts that pretend to get along but hate each other in real life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But but, (laughs) I think I am. Um, 
<laughs> confirmed uh, but uh, but uh, the long and skinny of it and we're going to put a poll out I would imagine the next couple of days here probably tomorrow on Wednesday um, if not Thursday at the latest here I'm going to put it in my phone right now so I don't forget it um, essentially regardless of the way that our hosting changes I think Nick and I have discussed about changing kind of the way we approach this a little bit of course at our core and at our base we do St. Cloud Hockey, the Huskies Warming House podcast, men's and women's hockey. And of course, uh, the the beauty of this and also the challenge of this is with covering the Minnesota Wild, the World Junior Championships, you know, the men's hockey worlds, the Olympics, whatever it may be. Hockey news in general, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes overextends us a little bit to the point where I feel like sometimes we don't get to pull in enough, especially during season four of the men's and women's teams, particularly just because we're interdispersed. The Minnesota Wild, of course, take up a lot of our time too uh, during season as well. I. Uh, and who knows, maybe everybody likes that and that's their jam, um, but maybe not. So as we're moving into the summer, I think we just kind of want to know simply this. Uh, would you like us, number one, uh, first option to keep the show as is relatively most days, about 90 minutes, the full spread of hockey, kind of similar to how we're doing it, where we kind of follow the Stanley Cup playoffs, whatever it is, kind of how we do it. Um or do you want it more 45 to 60 minutes where during season, especially St. Cloud men's hockey and St. Cloud women's hockey, that's what we that's do. It. Yep. That's what we do. And in the summer NCHC and WCHA stuff, you know, like the team previews and stuff like that. Do we um, bring back interviews? Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you can schedule them, not me. Um, <laughs> the, wow. it, it, Interviews are a lot of work. I know um, I know somebody who is going to listen to this and give me an immediate text after that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. I mean, I don't mind the interviews. I, you know, just scheduling, of course, just takes a while. Um, the other option too that we have a third option we could throw it in here is that it's Saint Cloud men's and women's hockey during the season, and we do NHL and all others in the post in the summer, or we take the summer off. I don't know. Um, and then the fourth one that I put was just other. If you feel there's a better option for us, comment it. We'd love to hear if you feel that there's things that are working or not working. But we kind of want to figure out what it's our fans. The hosts. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a given, right? Yeah, um, right. Okay, I include that as an option. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe you should. Would free up my weekends. Uh, <laughs> You're in mind both. <laughs> no, it, it is so much fun, especially in season covering these teams. And it's nice to be able to dive a little bit deeper in, into the teams as well, too, and kind of take a look at that as well. So, um, you know, if you're feeling like it should be just more St. Cloud men's and women's hockey and kind of have us dive a little bit more extensively, maybe 25 to 35 minutes for each team, depending on who's playing that weekend for St. Cloud. If that's what you want, cool. If you're feeling like we still need that plus some Minnesota Wild stuff and that's it, cool. If you feel like we need to keep it as it is and it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's all right, too. We'd love to know what you guys think because as we transition, regardless of if we change the way we host or not, I think... Um, maybe we just feel like we want to make some changes to the show in general and just maybe see if uh, there's a better avenue that maybe caters a little bit more to what you as the listeners and fans want. Not to say that it's not important for us to talk about Hockey Canada, not to say it's not important for us to talk about the Olympics, but of course, at our core, at our base, we've been doing this for three and a half years. years I know. Which is crazy yeah. to think about. Nuts. Um 
where we got started, of course, is St. Cloud. And like you mentioned, those interviews and guys, uh, you know, like Brett Larson, like the players coming on and getting that information as well, too. So um, we're going to put out a poll, probably going to let it last about a week, I would say. So you should have an opportunity to to take a look at it. But we really want to know your uh, input and kind of feel what you guys are feeling as far as the listeners, because we love doing the show. We love providing, especially the Huskies hockey content, of course, as Nick and I talked about, we can't wait for this hockey season to get rolling already again. I mean, you know, the roster, of course, it's going to be exciting to see who goes where for both of these squads. Um, and if you feel like that's what you want the core of the show to be, that's what the core of the show will be. But if you feel like the other elements are equally as important, or if there's just one of those elements that important, that is important, we want to know about that as well, too. So, um, yeah. Find us at Warming House Den on Twitter. Uh, find that poll. We really would like to know uh, what your thoughts and inputs are related to that. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Nick, related to? No, I, you know, and I think, you know, if there is another, again, you know, I think, you know, unless on Twitter, again, if, if you feel like there's other suggestions, you know, feel free to send us yeah. a DM as well. I think, you know, yeah. if, if there's one thing that, you know, we want is we want your true and honest opinion on this. And yeah. if there's something that, that you, you think of and you think is a good suggestion, it's not listed in the very small Twitter verse that is four options in a poll. Yes. Uh, no, please let us know because we, uh, again, it's all about the listeners at the end of the day. We do this not because, you know, Noah loves to talk and, and, and talk over me, but uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not. I know. Oh, you didn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh well. In that case, I we oh, I'm good for the summer. If you are no, right. no kidding. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, but but in truth, right? We want the the show to be catered to the folks that listen to us. And if it and, and again, you know, as as you mentioned, I think really well. No, I, I we we think we're due for a bit of shall we say a restructure? Maybe is the better yeah. way we throw it. Right. And, and and we did this about a year and a half ago, did we not? Where it was like oh, we felt our shows were getting a bit too long, and we kind of tried to reformat. And then slowly, of course, they get longer as the season goes on because there's more elements that we feel are necessary to dip into and right and and maybe that's what it is right you know so and maybe in short do we feel like we should it's huskies warming house let's talk about just huskies right if you like the full spectroscope maybe it's huskies plus maybe a college hockey little mixture and we keep yeah. it there right do we you still like it the way it is where we touch everything hockey pros or, or, up everything yeah or do you just want the wild in addition you know because they're so close to home like right. i don't so, know Please let us know. Again, send us a DM, uh, respond to the Twitter poll, um, and then we'll adjust as needed. But we definitely feel like um, a refresh is in order yeah. for what? Fourth season? We're, yeah, number four. Holy crap. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, <laughs> and some people do these for a lot longer. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. If you want to be our producer, too, come join us. We don't have money, but we smile sometimes. <laughs> Depends on the day. <laughs> Definitely does. Well, of course, recording on June 6th, releasing the show on June 7th. So about a week, maybe June 14th or 15th, our poll will close. And we would love to hear what our listeners and viewers have to say. For Nick Maxson and Noah Grant, we will see you soon in the next. One-timer coming, they score!
2.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.